if we spend our whole life scared to do something, then we've never really lived. And so it was kind of like, well, what's on the other side of this? You know, curiosity is curiosity. Who am I? Who am I really? Or, you know, how how big am I? How big can I play? What is really out there? And we can never find the answers to that unless we go explore in ways that seem crazy, scary, weird, and abnormal. That's motivational author, environmentalist, and humanitarian Jake Ducey. This week's guest on episode 83 of the Unplugged podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to another inspiring week of the Unplugged podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the truly courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly changing world. And my name is Debo Zarco, in case you haven't heard this before. Yes, that's me, Debo Zarco, warrior of truth, status quo crusher, and passionate lover of life, here to welcome you to your almost weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful coastal British Columbia, Canada. And this week, I am really excited to dive into a, uh, a really, really, really powerful conversation with a 23-year-old who absolutely rocks it. Jake Ducey is a young man who, uh, he knows that changing the world starts with truly unleashing and releasing ourselves from the, the, the grips of status quo and the conformity out there that keeps us small. And, you know, truly, we're not going to see real and lasting change outside of ourselves in this world until we claim everything inside of ourselves and we say yes to that and you know that can sometimes be a difficult concept for people to grasp until they've lived it and experienced it on a visceral level but I can assure you that once you say yes to yourself without hesitation without reservation without letting fear block your dreams your life is never going to be the same and your world will never be the same and the world will never be the same. That's how powerful we are when we set ourselves free. So in 2013, at the age of 19, Jake realized that the American dream was not his path. And he saw very clearly through the facade, and he's going to tell this story in in our conversation today, but he saw very clearly through the facade of the status quo promises of success and fulfillment. And instead, he chose a more authentic path. And that authentic path was one that was aligned with the passion that was just bursting from his heart. So he rejected a basketball scholarship, he dropped out of college, and he traveled the world. And inspired by the movie, Into the Wild, he documented his own journey and released his first book titled Into the Wind. And without a publisher or any real budget, he managed to make it to the top 300 books in Amazon. Now, if you think about Amazon, considering the the database that Amazon keeps, that's no small feat. 
And from the, the uh, success of that book, Jake was then invited to speak on the TEDx stage, and he's since built a really loyal online following. And he's also piqued the interest and subsequent mentorship of Chicken Soup for the Soul author Jack Canfield. And so at the age of 23, Jake has since become the youngest author to score a motivational book publishing deal at a major publishing house with his most recent book released earlier this year called The Purpose Principles. So, yeah, he didn't chase the American dream. He chucked it and he just did it his own way. But one of the most beautiful parts of Jake's story is what he considers his greatest accomplishment. And with some of the money that he's since earned with his books, he has helped build an orphanage in Guatemala. So after watching his TEDx talk, I was hooked. And I'm going to post a link to that in the show notes on my website. And that's going to be at devilsarco.com backslash Jake for all of you keeners out there. So when I saw his, his TEDx talk, I was, uh, like I said, I was hooked and I knew that this kid was wise beyond his years and I had to have him on the show. And once I get that inner inkling, then I started doing a little more snooping around. I did some research. I listened to other interviews and I was totally blown away. And when I reached out to him on Twitter of all places, I'm hardly ever, ever on Twitter, but I don't know. I just have to peek at my (laughs) <laughs> my tumbleweed Twitter feed one day and there was his name and uh, and so I just responded and that's how we connected. So he responded immediately and the inspirational outcome is in today's conversation. And as Jack Canfield says, Jake considers me his mentor, a role I relish. But just as important, I consider Jake an inspiration in my life. And I can honestly say that after the conversation that you will hear this week, I feel exactly the same way. So not that I'm his mentor, but I totally consider him an inspiration in my life. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I feel it fair to mention that the audio for today's conversation is a bit spotty. Um, When Jake and I finally connected, we tried to make Skype work. And if you know what Jake looks like, he has the most gorgeous, long, curly hair. And so I got to see, I got to see him on Skype with that, his beautiful curly locks, but Skype was acting up that day. It was a little funky. So instead we, we, we had to make this work. So we opted for Jake's cell phone instead. And you know, cell phone conversations, you know, I'm on Skype and so I'm recording it. That's how, how I get the audio and I, I'm able to extract it and, do my thing for you guys, um, guys and gals out there. Uh, but cell phone, cell phone conversations are always a little bit weird. And I did my best to clean up the audio and it's definitely better than it was initially when I first downloaded it. So my unsolicited invitation is to just stick with it because once your ears attune to the, the not as clear audio as you're used to with this podcast, you'll be blown away by what, by what he has to say. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to put in a little, little added note here. My audio is fine. So on my end, it was, it was perfect. It was just the connection that we had to Jake's cell phone, but Hey, you can still hear it. It's all great. He, when I was editing this, I was blown away yet again. So without further ado, 
Enjoy the wisdom of author, motivational speaker, environmentalist, and humanitarian Jake Ducey. Jake, as I've mentioned, I'm really excited to finally connect with you today. I know we've been playing some email tag and we finally made this happen. And Skype was kind of funky with us today, so we're trying the phone. We'll see if this is going to work out. But I'm I'm really excited to share your essence with my listeners because after seeing witnessing who you are on, you know, on video and in audio, I really believe that, you know, you're just a perfect fit for my listeners and the journey that they're on. And I know that you're like, you're in your early 20s, you've published two books, you've traveled the world, you've had a profound epiphany where you realized that life was so much more than a basketball scholarship, good grades, and a gold watch at the end of a job. So essentially what you've done is you've just kind of like crushed status quo and you've embraced your calling. You've spoken on a TEDx stage, you caught the attention of Jack Canfield, and you're a passionate environmental and human rights activist to boot. So I don't know, has anybody ever put it together like that for you? All of it? That is the first time, and I'm honored to, to hear that, and, and I'm also just to, to, to reverse. Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to be in front of your listeners. Well, you know, what's, what I think is so cool about just that little snippet of what I've mentioned is that you've essentially condensed an entire lifetime in just over 20 years. I mean, most oh, people... Don't make, me, don't make me have a really hard attack. <laughs> <laughs> most people never even realize their, their purpose and their calling in life because they're, you know, there's so much, they have so much fear of saying yes to the call that's in their heart. And, and, you know, for so many people, it's just so much easier to remain hostage to the cultural conditioning. But you said no to that at an early age and you said yes to, you know, your calling at an early age. So, so now that I've just offered a tiny little glimpse into your jam-packed life, you're the guy who can flesh it out and really fill in the gaps. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's such a profound life story for someone who's so young and it's so profoundly inspiring. So I'd like to just kind of set the foundation and start with Jake Ducey and talk about how you unplugged from status quo and plugged into your heart, plugged, plugged into the passion and the purpose that is really essentially changing the world well thank you i uh so i feel honored for those things and i uh i think that uh, being on purpose is when we're not wondering if we're on purpose so uh i feel connected right now and yeah excited to dive in so what was it that like i'm curious to know what was it that kind of inspired you to to just leave it all? Like, what was that? Especially at such a young age. I mean, I, I know that sometimes people, when they're that young, I, I mean, I can talk about my own life is I had these inklings of discomfort when I was young and extracted myself to some degree, but, you know, there was still that cultural pressure to stay, stay in it, stay in the game, to do the career thing. I what was it that's different? Like what was it that was kind of the impetus for change for you? Well, you know, there's that one movie into the wild. And in Into the Wild he says something to the effect that most people are in unhappy circumstances, yet they don't take the initiative to change it, yet they have the power 
so they live their whole lives unhappy. I think at the core, we're not in a crisis of anything other than than people living joyously and, and, and happily. And I think that when we're on that path of, you know, not questioning, am I on purpose? Like just the thought of sitting in a classroom as a 19-year-old and or wherever, you know, someone may be, if, you're, if I'm wondering, am I on purpose, then I'm not really contributing to the world in a way that I should, nor am I contributing to myself. And so it's just things like that, you know, things like that. I wanted to know why we couldn't audit the Federal Reserve in economics class as a freshman in college. And my teacher told me to shut up. And, you know, we all get little signs like that, right, that say, like, you know, maybe this isn't where you should be. Maybe this isn't where you should be. And I was starting to get those signs. And a lot of times we spend our whole life ignoring signs because fear is a powerful thing. And often fear can keep us trapped within a, a little compartment our whole lives. And yes, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to know, I wanted the feeling of feeling like I was actually living and, and you know, like, we know if we're honest with ourselves, whether we're living to our full capability or whether we're, you know, living out of love and, and passion or whether we're living out of fear. And I knew I was kind of just living out of, I was living out of default. Our society sets us up on a default course and says, do this, do this, do this. And we're told do this long enough that we think, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do this. And so it just all changed when I started to ask questions rather than um, regurgitate information. That's so powerful. Now, from the outside looking in, like, I mean, outside looking from the cultural mindset that's been normalized. So from that perspective, people would probably look at the life that you were heading towards as something that was, you know, destined for success. So the basketball scholarship, the good grades, and you know this um this path that you were that you were on as a student you know studying to become something more but you knew because you had that internal connection that that wasn't right and that's that's one of the things that i talk about a lot in this show is that we're often enculturated to be something that we're not and we we kind of normalize the abnormal. Even if it doesn't feel right, we just keep doing it because that's what's expected of us. So what do you think it was that was, like I know I'm, I'm, kind, I'm trying to dig at the roots here and try and find out you know, the essence of Jake Ducey and find out what it was that really inspired that internal alignment and how you were able to say no really to the external conditioning and stay aligned with the inner truth because most people they they know like you said like they know that there's something not right inside but what they stay on that same old path but because I guess because things are not feeling right internally that's when they fall prey to depression and anxiety and stress and addiction and all the you know all the manifestations of the modern world that we're seeing today so I, I, I'm just curious to know what it was you think that was different that helped you stand more solidly in who you are so that you could be who you are today and continue to morph into something that's even more expansive. Um, I, 
quite here. You know, I think that, well, one, you know, saying no to that path that you're speaking of or as you, as in your words, the internal conditioning, saying yes to yourself. And at a certain point, you know, just saying yes to ourselves. And that's scary. It's really scary when everyone says, this is what you need to do. And you're no longer going to be validated as intelligent or safe or normal. You may lose friends. I lost friends. My mom thought I was crazy. Like people literally thought like I was crazy. And when you do that, you're saying yes to yourself. And that's a really scary thing because a human being wants to be validated. They, it's, it's something that we deeply, deeply want. But, you know, I always say it's better to be strange to others, appear strange to others than be a stranger to yourself. And, you know, I think at a certain point, the fear was almost like a motivation because if we spend our whole life scared to do something, then we've never really lived. And so it was kind of like, well, what's on the other side of this? You know, curiosity is curiosity. Who am I? Who am I really? Or, you know, how how big am I? How big can I play? What is really out there? And we can never find the answers to that unless we go explore in ways that seem crazy, scary, weird, and abnormal. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. And so you just kind of you chucked school, you just left it behind, you left the basketball scholarship behind, and you decided you were going to travel the world. So that was that was your thing. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm curious if you can just share a little bit about the story of traveling the world. I know that um, it's kind of like an expansive story, and people can read your book, Into the Wind. Uh, but if you could just give a little snapshot, you've got some really great you know, epiphanies and pivotal moments that happened. And just to kind of share with listeners how these pivotal moments are moments to be seized, because really that's what they are, moments. And if we just let them go by, then we can stay with the same old, same old, or we can seize those moments and actually become bigger, as you say, you know, and more. Yeah, I think, you know, firstly, you know, the picture, you know, I was a white, 19-year-old, um, with an extremely low budget, minimalist, valuable, and traveling with a backpack around me, only to find that nothing in the backpack I actually really needed for my existence. And, you know, traveling around the world and going into really remote villages and not carrying travel maps, travel maps or travel books or maps of any kind. And, you know, stepping aside from other travelers and going into cultures that I'd never been before as someone who grew up in a, you know, in the Western world, I'd never been to a place with no electricity and no toilet. And, you know, and it was an opportunity for me to see like, well, there's all these people and they don't have anything and they seem way more happy to greet the day than most of the people and myself included that are walking around on these city streets of the wealthiest, nation in the world that can give us such a high standard of living, yet these are these people that are living in a way that our culture says you can never live because if you do and you really, you don't amount to anything and you have no running water and you have none of these things in your failure, you're not successful, something must be wrong with you, you must have some type of mental condition or you must have just really messed up your life and not followed the institutionalized path, yet here are these people on the other side of the world that have none of these things 
and they're way happier, you know? And so it made me ask myself, well, what is important? You know, did I live? Did I love? Did I matter? What did matter to me? What, what is important if the, if getting everyone's approval and getting the, the next award and the next zero on our paycheck, although these things can be fun and great and pleasurable, what is the thing that really gets us fulfilled? Mm. And so it just made me start asking questions and that was really what I got out of my experience was a, it decluttered my life and it decluttered my mind. And it got me, it shook me to the core of what was, I found was important for me, you know, and, and not being, at the, you know, as a, as a young man growing up in a, in a, um, you know, in an image centered advertising culture in a, in a, in a society that's, you know, it's, it's expected for you to consume. It was nice to realize that I wasn't less cool if I had a plain white t-shirt for two ninety nine and shorts I wore yesterday, and I didn't need the next brand thing, and and um, I didn't need the the next this or that. So, what was it that I wanted to fill my time up with? Mm. If you were standing in front of me, I would give you the biggest hug right now. <laughs> I just <laughs> I just love what you have to say. I mean, this is. This is the message that means the most to me about expressing how life is meant to be simple. It's it's really meant to be simple and how this this culture that we've normalized makes everything so complicated. It's it just everything that is so simple becomes so complex and as a result We've strayed so far from that core essence that you're talking about, you know, that, that essence that's always happy and joyful and, 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 and is okay in those painful moments and doesn't, isn't afraid to feel, isn't afraid to be expressive and isn't afraid to be different. I mean, that's who we, every single one of us authentically is. We've just strayed so far away from that place. So, you know, here you are, you, you know, you're, you're in your early twenties and I know that, um, you know, you're, you're really a, a great spokesperson for the millennial age. And I know that a lot of young people, your age and, and younger get a really bad rap because they have this perceived sense of entitlement and selfishness and being really disconnected from life. But I'm hearing more and more people like yourself who are, the total opposite. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, since you're in it, what do you feel about this stigma that the culture has attached to, you know, your generation? And I want to hear the truth from, you know, from your perspective. Well, um, I think it's, you know, who, who created that stigma? Oh, older generation, mm-hmm. you know, it's the whole, it's the whole thing over there. It's not our fault, even though we're the generation that's had the most world, even though the older generations that created the stigma have gotten the nation into the greatest debt ever in human history, the most wars that we've ever had within a given time period, the highest, um, the highest uh, rates of depression, the highest rates of suicides, the most prescription of psychotropic drugs. It's a trickle-down effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. The, the Dalai Lama has a quote from guy was saying, like, well, what do we do with the world? You know, we have 
all these wars and we have all these economic crises and we have all these people unhappy and this and that. And he said, you've ruined, your generation has ruined the world enough. So why don't you just give it to the next generation and kind of get out of the way? And I think that it's a, it's a pretty funny point. You know, it's, it's, uh, who controls the, the cultural narratives? It's all the generations. So who created a thing about how the generation is so bad, but not us. It's them. It's mm, them. It's mm. them. It's how our whole culture works and it's how politics works and it's everything. It's all about them. It's all about them. And at the core, there's people of all ages who are taking total personal responsibility for how to show up in the world. And there are many people of all ages who are not. And, you know, I, we have a culture, no matter your generation, that is, um, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's insanely sick. You know, Krishna Murray, as I already said, there's no measure of sanity to be well adjusted to a profoundly, to a profoundly sick society. And, you know, I think that at the core, it's not any particular generation, but it's the way that we're showing up as leaders or lack thereof, as role models or lack thereof. And that doesn't mean showing up as a leader who leads millions of people, but it's all of our everyday actions in the household when we come home after work and we had a long day and the way that we show our imprint of who we are to those around us because everyone's energy, everyone's behaviors is contagious and it all affects and creates those around us. And I think that at the core, it's not about a generation. It's about each person, regardless of their age, regardless of their ethnic background, to really take a stand. We can't have any more wars. We can't have any more <laughs> delays on, in, 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 in treating our environment the way that it needs to be taken care of. We can't have any more delays in throwing billions of bank out, bank, bail out dollars to, to people that should be in jail while kids have no opportunities to be in a desk or a classroom. So they have no other resort, no other tactic but to resort to things in crime, a way to make money that puts them in jail. And I think that, you know, I, I, we need to all, all address this central issue, which is that we messed up a little bit. <laughs> and the only thing that we can do is stop saying them, 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 and start saying me, 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 me. How can I show up in the world? And how can I affect you, you, you in a positive way? You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny that it's really is just that whole stigma is them, them, them. They're messed up. They're messed up. They're messed up. Well, why then is your generation at such an amazing debt, a financial debt? Why have there been so many wars? Why are, why do we see so many of our parents get divorced and unhappy and become alcoholics? Why? 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 And, you know, the questions need to be returned, but, you know, so often young people aren't given the opportunity to speak in the media or they just find someone that's, you know, obviously, um, easy to poke fun at and they highlight as the, the faces that are, you know, of, that are an example of the generation because that sells a lot more than <laughs> having somebody else coming on and saying, hey, I think maybe we should try this, 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 and this out. And so that's, you know, I think it's funny. I think that at the core, we need to start asking ourselves, how can we play bigger? You know, mm. how can I be on purpose in a bigger way? How can I like this world in a different way? And I think we need to shift the conversation away from what everyone else is doing wrong and started stressing what are the things that are going right and, and how can we expand them and, and how can we do more things well in the world. Yes. And how can we own up to 
our authentic self and express that in the world, as you're saying. And ultimately, what I believe is that, you know, we can label it um, climate change or uh, Fukushima fallout or war or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, it comes down to a crisis in consciousness. And that's what's created this messed up world is that we're living from this antiquated thought system that's been created by white men, old white men in suits that just keeps being perpetuated as this consumptive system that is just bringing about our own demise. And you're right that nobody actually uh, turns the mirror on themselves and says, wow, how can I be better? How can I be bigger? How can I make a difference in this world? And, 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 you know, everything that you've said is just like, I've got goosebumps all over my body. So, so thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, you're in California. I'm in British Columbia. We're on the same continent in the same hemisphere. And I know like I'm going to go like you're talking about the wars and and all of the human issues that are out there. And, and one of the biggest ones that's really flaring up for all of us now is is climate change. And as you and I being on the same hemisphere in the same part of the world, we're experiencing a lot of drought and wildfires. And climate change is really it's really in your in our face now. Like I know that out here, I've been speaking about this repeatedly on this show about how dramatic the climate change has changed actually in this summer alone. Um, but there's still so many people living in denial because again, they just don't want to take ownerships. And I feel like these are the conversations that we need to have, but people are afraid to have because they're afraid to feel. And I believe that if we allowed ourselves to feel the grief in our hearts and the anger that we feel for the, the, you know, the state of the world and for what's being lost, um, you know, whether it's through war or climate change or poverty or whatever the case may be, that that alone can drive us towards creative action that births a better world in the face of all of this uncertain change. So where am I going with this? I'm, I guess ultimately what I want to talk about is how we need to feel and how we need to be more emotional and and not negate that, not label it as good, bad, right, or wrong, but label it, well, just accept it for what it is and let that move through us in a way that is transformative. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some of your videos and you are a guy who is not afraid to express emotion. And it is so, it is so refreshing and it is so beautiful and it's so empowering because what it does is it gives others permission to feel as well. And when we feel, then we can access what's underneath all of those feelings, whether we call it anger or sadness or whatever the case. And often it's grief and underneath grief is always love. And that's where we, that's when we come from a really transformative place for, um, you know, for taking action for a better world. So I'm curious to to talk to you about feelings and emotions and how important and powerful they are uh, for accessing who we are and also for creating change. But also, I'm you know, because you're a guy, you know, you you've also been kind of like men, really, there's a social stigma for men to not feel. And I know that that's creating so many more problems too, from all of the violence in the world to all of the depression that's out there. So anyway, I'm just curious to know, to just explore this conversation about feelings and emotions and transformation and, and get this from your perspective. Yeah, well, um, this analogy, 
if someone you know was, you know, eating, you know, maybe three meals a day, maybe so many as five meals a day. And they were like, you know, that I'm not going to go to the bathroom. I'm not going to get any of this waste out of my body. It's gross. But I'm not going to get any of this. I'm just going to keep it in my body. I don't want to use the bathroom. I, I, just, I don't want to do that work. I don't, I don't know. It feels weird to get it out of my body. I'm just going to keep it in here. That would be extremely detrimental to your health and to your well-being you know, in a couple days to a week. You would, you would never keep your waste in your body. Yet we do that with our emotions. Mm. We keep old emotions in our body and they become waste that become toxic, that becomes random outlashes and bursts of anger and anxieties that we don't quite understand and resentment at people that did something three years ago and we don't know why we're still mad at them or they don't know why we're mad at them. It can become, so it can become a cancer that can take mm. over your you, who you really are. And we would never do that with, with food waste with food energy so why would we do it with emotional energy and i just think that that's a an important component you know to to get radically honest with your lover or your mother or your father or your friend or your business partner or someone in your office to share how you feel you're non-combative and in a authentic um passionate and and respectful way is a scary thing to do and but the consequences are just too great and just like the consequences are too great it feels too uncomfortable to hold to hold a five weeks worth of meals in your body but why would you hold five years of, of old emotions and things that have taken place in you and so i think that it goes back to what we talked about earlier you know Oftentimes, the things that can scare us and terrify us most are the really the only things that will set us. Mm-hmm. That's a really great metaphor. I've actually never heard about that before about <laughs> holding everything in your body like that. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about that makes me feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> but it's really powerful. It's really it's a it's a it's a awesome metaphor. And so uh, one of the things that I want to talk, I want to explore a little bit more about your activism too, because I mean, you're, you're so obviously passionate and it's so, for me, I just, I love doing this podcast because I get to speak with people who are not afraid of their passion, who are not afraid to speak out for the world and for, you know, for humanity. And, you know, I, I, and, and let's go back to the feelings here. So I feel like if we're feeling anger, that can move mountains. It can also create cancer, like you said, if we hold it inside and we bottle it up, but it can also move mountains. And if we're not feeling outraged at the crap that's happening in our world, then we're just, we're, we're in a coma as far as I'm concerned. And if we don't recognize the fact that this outrage and this anger can actually, it's like it's a, such a beautiful fiery energy that, that can be transformed into such positive action, as long as we're not projecting it, but as long as it's just being transformed into, into what's beneath it, the love that's, that's there, that says no to the things that are creating, um, you know, such destruction in this world, that's when we actually can create significant change. And I um I remember hearing a story about you uh you were 
incarcerated actually for speaking out against the Keystone Pipeline. And I'm wondering if you would mind sharing with listeners a little bit about that story because it's so powerful. Yeah, well, I was protesting the CCFL pipeline and you know, we had permits to protest. And, you know, for people that don't know, the Keystone XL pipeline is a Canadian tar sand oil pipeline that will go from Alberta to Canada to Texas. And a lot of Americans are are unaware of what is happening with this because they think it's oil coming to America. And, you know, people are like, well, we want to create more energy here in America. No, all of that is going overseas, primarily to China and other places to repay debt. Not a drop of it is <laughs> going to Americans and Canadian Tar sands oil is an extremely, extremely dirty um, type of oil that has a very arduous process in order to extract that involves, you know, basically um, clear-cutting forests and land mining, uh, thousands and thousands of acres of land and using millions of gallons of water in order to extract just a little bit of it which is and which so, is really brutal you know considering like just what i was mentioning about the drought that we're experiencing on the western part of the world yeah absolutely you know all of, the, all of these effects and you know just finally and you know on top of it all just finally you know taking a stand for going another we need to go in another direction eventually so yeah i went out to protest and the Secret Service showed up in paddy wagons and detained myself and 64 other people and, you know, wouldn't read us our rights, you know, put us in zip ties, put us in the paddy wagons, held us for three days, never called, never, you know, got talked to a lawyer. And uh, ultimately, they just let us go. We never even got to see a judge. They held us for three days and we thought we were going to see a judge and they just opened the door outside and they're like, get out of here, you know, trying to scare other people from coming to protest and so you know that was pretty traumatizing i think i was 20 so it was pretty traumatizing experience for you know being a pretty young man and scary to see what um what ultimate um authority can do or ultimate power you know what do they say absolute power absolutely corrupts and you know that was it was a scary example of it and so you know, I dealt with definitely a lot of anger, uh, which I thought was justifiable. And, and But ultimately, it wasn't until I realized, like, people are just doing what they're doing because they don't know any better. You know, like, those, you know, I was mad and angry at the Secret Service officers or the security officers in, in jail. They're just, they literally don't know any different. And they literally are doing what, whatever they need to do to feed their family or they grew up in a household that told them that, you know, it was, it was, it was a smart thing to do to detain, you know, 65 year old women and seven year old <laughs> children and, you know, 20 year old like myself and numerous others for human rights and you could just essentially throw out the constitution and that was okay because you're a, um, a secret service agent or whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, they're growing up thinking that that is okay. And so that was traumatizing, but it wasn't until I learned, you know, about forgiveness. You know, I, I write in um, something I like to say is forgiveness is the alchemy of the soul in which to feeling a possibility to return to the human spirit. Mm. The more we're angry and we think it's, you know, justified rage is the more we limit the possibilities of our own spirit to be free 
you know, Albert Camus has a quote and he says something to the effect of the only way to deal with a totally unfree society is to become so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. And the only way to become totally free is, is through forgiveness, you know, and, and releasing things that, um, you know, justifiable anger. You know, Wayne Dyer, who, of course, passed away recently, he, his whole career launched his first book, Erroneous Zones, that it's now sold 100 million copies in, you know, 48 languages. That book, he had never even thought of writing a book until his father, who left him, that he, he never saw his father in his whole life. And as, like, a grown-up man, he was, he thought, you know, he never talked to this guy, never wanted to see him. He didn't know until he finally found out his dad had been dead. And he went to his grave, and he just got enraged, just this anger, like where he wanted to literally, in his words, piss on the grave. And it wasn't until he forgave his father for for literally just being who he was and doing what he could with what was inside of him. You know, obviously a lot of um, pain was probably inside of him, or he wouldn't have left his whole family like that and never talked with him. And it wasn't until he waned accepted that and realized that that he, he then ended up forgiving him on the spot and it turned into this big emotional spiritual experience and that night he went and checked in at a motel and got the bright idea to write a book called erroneous zones which he wrote in 13 days and and it came out the entire book in 13 days he didn't even have the thought of writing it until he realized he had all this anger and all of it was just all of a sudden vanished from him and he was had this larger, vast, infinite space and access to his soul on a level he'd never experienced that this book came out of him. And, you know, he shares Mark Twain's quote. Mark Twain says, like, um, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. It's not until we can really um, release that justifiable anger that we can really show up free and make our very existence massive rebellion. Yes, exactly. I, I feel like that that's so powerful is that the anger when it's when it's it's transformed and we get to, like I say, what's underneath it and what's underneath it is usually some kind of sadness or grief. And when we when we feel that, that's when we access the love. And forgiveness is so powerful for that. It's it's um and it's not about necessarily forgiving the deeds. It's about forgiving the person and un- and realizing that we're all doing the best that we can with whatever resources that we we have or however we were brought up. And you know we it's it's really important to remember that we've all been brought up within the same conditioned paradigm that separates us from really our it separates us from our souls. It separates us from the essence of who we are. So it's it's hard for people to, um, to understand. I think that this, the behavior is not necessarily like behavior that might be perceived as negative might not be, it's not necessarily a reflection of who we are, even though we take it personally, it's just, it's a projection of unhealed pain, unhealed wounds from inside somebody else that can be forgiven. The deeds not necessarily. I think when we look at the deeds and we see how ugly they are, that's what catalyzes action to create change and forgiving, coming from a place of forgiveness for the person, but, you know, realizing that the actions need to change. That's, I I feel what creates a really powerful unity between spirituality and activism. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, I actually, you know what, let's, let's go, let's, let's explore that. Cause I've heard you speak about, um, the link between spirituality and activism in some of your talks. And, you know, like, as far as I'm concerned, they really are one in the same, like they're intricately intertwined and like really the foundation of social justice is spirituality because we're coming from a place of truth and life and love. And there's a Gandhi quote that says, where there is, where there is, where is it? Where there is life, there is love or where there is love, there's life, something like that. But, you know, and when you look at all of the greatest change makers in the world, Gandhi, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa, for instance, you know, they all came from that, that place where there was no dividing line between spirituality and activism. So, you know, and they, they created enormous change in the world from that deeply spiritual place of truth and love and action. And I believe that we all have that within us and it's, it's meant to be expressed in our own unique way. And I know that this is something that you speak so eloquently to, and I just love if you could just share your thoughts on this conversation. Well, I think that if someone, you know, says that we're all one or all is one, you know, truth is unity, you know, they're into spirituality or yoga. And they're also the type of person that frowns upon, you know, talking about important issues that people can, you know, call negative or, you know, it's easier not to talk about them. Then they don't, under, you don't understand unity. You just, mm -hmm. you don't get it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay, but you don't get it. Because just because it's pretty comfortable to live in your house and have a thousand people to channel and go to yoga once a day and meditate <laughs> and it feels really good and comfortable, um, doesn't mean that the 15 million kids in America that are below the poverty line are part of, um, that aren't part of that unity that there isn't, you know, like there are a lot of things to address for sure. And if we deny part of that and we call that negative, then, you know, like you said at the beginning of this, there's, there's, you said something to the effect of there's no good and bad, you know, at the, at the core, it's, you know, if it's an issue that needs to be addressed, then, it's part of the part of the whole. Gandhi also says that a man who denies politics is like a drowning man who denies water. And the goal isn't to become a politician, but the goal is definitely to, you know, to be the generation that can bring about peace, no more war, no more starving people, no more of, of this and that and more of of um freedom and prosperity and opportunity and equality and um, sustainability. So I think that, you know, I think if we, someone is, you know, has some type of religious or spiritual practice, you know, and they're, um, you know, trying to better themselves and free themselves on a deeper and deeper level and they're starting to understand, you know, the way their minds work and how to be centered on a deeper level, what greater challenge than Stay centered and authentically yourself, and arguably the most the most um, debatable and 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 vulnerable and emotional topics to discuss, which is um, which is the world, the state of the planet. Um, you know, getting involved in some way, shape, or form. You know, whether it's just in our office or whether it's in our community or whether it's uh, addressing, you know, what are to many people important global issues. So I think, um, you know, it's, 
it's important to not shy, shy away from certain things that feel like darkness and are scary. And that real unity is identifying that these aren't things that you skim over, you know, and, and just go on with your meditation practice or your book about Buddhism or the law of attraction and you instead, you know, ignore these things. We make, we make days after Martin Luther King and Gandhi and Mother Teresa and we honor these people like our culture honors these people as cultural heroes. Abraham Lincoln, Rosa Parks, all these people. Why are these people all people that we've created into such cultural icons and 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 do all these things about it? It's because they got involved. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yet, and we 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 get the day off for some of these people's days. Yet when we talk about the things that they would be talking about, you. you we don't want to discuss them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't make. It doesn't. It doesn't make much sense. And I think you know the ultimate calling is to find our gift and share it with the world in whatever ways we can do that. For Mother Teresa, it was her love, compassion to show people that they weren't all alone in the world and on a, on another stream. You know, um, someone else's is to you know write books, and someone else's is their passion is to feed hungry kids. Someone else's they want to you know, enrich the education system. Everyone has their place in the world. And and I think that um, to ignore that is basically committing spiritual suicide. Oh, that's so powerful. And I remember hearing you, um, you were speaking, I think it was with the ritual uh, when you were on his podcast, you said that purpose is the strongest form of activism. And when you said that, that was another one of those moments where I just got goosebumps all over my body. And, and it's like, like, that's my soul's affirmation that something has really resonated on a deep level because it's so aligned with what I believe. And I know that when we live a purposeful life and when we connect to what's authentic and real and we honor that, embrace it, live it, despite the perceived hardships that may come along the way, like, you know, the judgment that comes, it really is the strongest form of activism because essentially what we're doing is we're unplugging from this paradigm of separation, this status quo, and we're living an authentic life. We're not hostage to cultural conditioning that, you know, that keeps us captive to a monotone life of compliance and unhappiness and fear and suppression that's been normalized, you know, and the things that manifest, like I've mentioned is depression and anxiety and stress and addiction and so on. And by conforming to cultural expectations, we lose our souls. So when I heard you say that purpose is the strongest form of activism, I was actually doing the wave for you. I mean, you nailed it with those words. So um, we've kind of explored a little bit of this conversation, but I'd love to go deeper into this because this is one of the things that I really, I'm so passionate about is that when we, when we heal and transform ourselves, it is incumbent upon us to actively use our voices and take a stand and to speak out and create change from that changed place within us because other otherwise like you said we're committing spiritual suicide so when you said purpose is the strongest form of activism would you mind like just going a little deeper into that and and like let's just really kickstart listeners here to get out there and do something that's really meaningful so to take a stand, you know, in a world that <laughs> that isn't, you know, is the strongest form of activism you could take. It's to really stand up for something you believe in, in a world that doesn't really stand for much. 
in a society that doesn't really stand for much, doesn't really have a value system. I mean, we we talk about democracy and freedom and prosperity for all, but I mean, you can say anything you want. Just look at look at the reality of it. And so I think that for strongest form of activism, because you know, if activism is getting involved and making a difference in a better way than to be doing something that you totally and absolutely believe in. You feel like it's your dharma, your place in the world, because by default, when you're in that place, you're going to inspire and affect others in a positive way, not by trying to change them, but by working on yourself. And so that's why I think it's the strongest form of activism, because if we have more and more and more and more and more and more people start asking, you know, what is my place? Did I love? Did I live? Did I matter? Was I on purpose? Am I on purpose? How do I get on purpose? Then you'll probably find the world a lot more peaceful, beautiful, and um, and opportunistic place for everyone. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, actions always speak louder than words, too. That's really what it boils down to. Absolutely. Now, um, I'm curious if we could, uh, now, I want to explore a little bit more about what you've done since you extracted yourself from uh, from the educational system. Like, I mean, you you traveled the world, and then you wrote a book, and you self-published. And now you've written a second book, and um, I'm not going to talk, you're, you're on the cusp of a third book, it sounds like, too, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm talking whatever. Yeah, we. Uh, I just, I'm just turning in the manuscript here in a couple of days and finished it. The first draft of the new book, and yeah, just uh, went to a two-year-old, I guess twenty when the self-published book was done, and you know, kind of trying to get my foot in the get my foot in the publishing world, only to you know have my have my foot slammed and the door locked and. So self-publish and, you know, that my first book, Into the Wind, I filled my car with books and, you know, went and spoke anywhere and everywhere. Sometimes at cafes to one person and, you know, community churches, schools, I stood in the center of University of East of Oregon's campus and just sold my books, students walking to classes, you know, I just tried about everything. Farmers markets, I knocked on strangers' doors and sold my books. I got my friends to go knock on people's doors, strangers' doors, you know, and eventually picked up momentum and the books sold, you know, well and, and made it to the top of the travel section on Amazon and um, that, you know, led to giving the TEDx talk like you mentioned and I met Jack Canfield, the Chicken Soup of the Soul creator through that and then I got, you know, inspired for a new book and that Penguin Random House picked that up and that came out this year, and then, yeah, and it kind of just started picking up momentum. I kind of started going from almost <laughs> almost totally out, out of out of money and no one letting me speak anywhere to, you know, starting to get books for gigs across the country, and it just kind of took on a life of its own when I really got uncomfortable with it first. Hmm. That is just such a, a, a beautiful tribute to the power of perseverance and passion and and really being on purpose and knowing that you can't not do it 
Like you just, you got to do it and whatever it takes and look at, look at, I mean, this is so cool that you've, um, you know, you're, you're mentored by Jack Canfield and I know that you have a connection with Laird Hamilton and he wrote the forward to your latest book. And I know that those are both such interesting stories and I'm curious to know what, what do you think were the most profound things that you learned from these two men who have really established themselves? For people that don't know, Laird Hamilton is arguably the greatest surfer who's ever lived on planet Earth. He surfed some of the largest waves in existence, 100-foot waves, and, um, you know, he's, a, he's an icon in a, what is now a multi-billion-dollar industry, and he, you know, on the surface, you know, humongous alpha male, you know, incredible physical specimen, extraordinary athlete. And growing up in the media, it's easy to think myself as a young man, man, that guy is fearless. And it creates, you know, this type of separation where I wish I was as fearless like him and I need to become fearless. And, and you know, I finally got the opportunity to interview him only to find out that he's scared out of his mind when he goes out and that's, you know, he he looks at fear like it can paralyze you or make you stronger, and that he thinks it's just a uh, innate part of being a human being. And 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 oftentimes to find out how powerful, incredible, amazing, and um, gifted we are, we have to go past our fear. And you know, he goes out in these waves that you know he's a guy that invented cone surfing. Cone surfing is when a jet ski brings you in because the waves are so big you can't paddle them. And and so. He would get so scared that if he doesn't immediately start paddling, if he, if when he gets scared, he does not take action, he locks up and becomes totally paralyzed and gets trapped in anxieties and he has to get towed in. And so I learned from him, he wasn't fearless, that actually it's about courage. Courage is in the absence of fear, but being scared to do something and doing it anyways. And so I learned, that was pretty inspiring for me to see that. It's not about being fearless, it's about being courageous, which is, just having the ability to be scared and, and still try something and still take the step. So I, I really learned that from him and that really, you know, put a lot of things in perspective that, you know, if Wayne Dyer says something like, um, if, if someone in some human being has accomplished something, something specific, then that means any human being in the entire world can do it. It's mm. within the field of possibility. And so it showed me if that guy can do it, all it really does is it doesn't take a lot of skill. It takes uh, courage and persistence. And so I really learned that from him. And meeting Jack, I, I really learned, you know, Jack talks about when someone says no, you say next. You know, if we ever walk our own path, we're going to get told no. We're going to get told that we're stupid. We're not good enough. You know, in my case, every publisher told me, no, this won't sell. Go sell a bunch of books on your own. You're not old enough. You don't know how to write. Go back to college. Blah, 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 blah. People tell us no in any way, shape, or form. And when someone says no, you say next. No, next. Mm. No, next. No, next. No, next. Jack Campbell, their first chicken soup. Jack Campbell is the best-selling nonfiction author of the 21st century. Him and him and Mark Victor Hansen, the chicken soup for the whole series, and they got denied by like 200, I think like 244 publishers, and their whole and now their chicken soup for the soul is like in gas stations and stuff. You know, it's like sold 500 million copies, and his whole philosophy is when someone says no, you say next, and so I really, you know, learned you know learn things like that from him. Um, you know, he says S W S W S W. Some will. 
say no to you. They'll think you're stupid. They'll laugh at you. You'll get rejected. You'll share your idea. You'll ask someone out and they'll say, no, I have, a, I have a boyfriend or girlfriend when they really don't. They just don't really like you or they're not that interested or whatever's going on. Some will say no. Some will say yes. So what? Someone else is waiting. Some will say yes. Some will say no. So what? Someone is waiting. Someone is waiting to connect with you. Someone, you know, is, 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 is wanting to hear your art. You know, if I would have listened when someone said no, we would never have had this conversation. Mm, you know, right. some will, some will, so what? Someone's waiting. SWSW, SWSW. Learn things like that for him. Someone says no, you say next. And SWSW, SWSW. That is so powerful. And, you know, it just, it kind of brings, makes me think about um, something you said in your TEDx talk about how you used to read inspirational books and you realized that you didn't want to learn inspirational quotes. You wanted to live an inspired life. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. And I, what does your mother think of you now? If she was ridiculing you before, what does she think of you now? <laughs> she loves me. <laughs> She likes to, she likes to brag sometimes, you know, so she just, you know, mom just wants her kids to be happy and, you know, eventually make a living and when that starts to happen then you know, a lot of the concerns and fears and worries kind of all fade away and become insignificant and that's kind of, you know, what happened. That's so amazing. It's, it's, isn't it kind of great when you can just, um, you can disprove the words of, or the, the the fears of people and prove that things can be so much bigger and so much better. Yeah, it's wonderful to it's wonderful to hold a bigger vision and make that possible. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to um I have just a couple more questions. I'm I'm curious to just explore purpose a little bit more and. One of the things that I believe is that purpose, that word has been hijacked by both like the new age community and like this, this culture that believes that everything lives outside of us. And I believe that, you know, what there is, what these cultural, um, I guess definitions are really saying is that purpose is something that we do, that it's a vocation that we make a living from it. And one of the things that I've come to realize in my own life is that purpose is not necessarily a vocation. It's who we are at our most authentic in every moment that we're basically breathing. So when I think of purpose, I think it can be something as simple as just, you know, like holding a door open for someone, um, smiling at somebody, you know, giving them eye contact. It can be like that connection that's infused with kindness. It can be you know, if I'm out hiking with my dogs, for instance, it can be picking up garbage along the trail or along the beach because I just love the world so much. It can be, uh, if we're volunteering at a dog shelter, for instance, or an animal shelter, it can be walking a, a dog at a, an animal shelter and sharing gratitude with somebody like a checkout person at a grocery store. So as far as I'm concerned, purpose is not a vocation and it can be one component of purpose, but I believe that purpose is who we are. So it's not necessarily what we do. It's what we, because what we do is just an expression of who we are. So I'm curious to know what you have to say about purpose, because I know that you've just, you know, this year, earlier this year, you released your book, The Purpose Principles. And if we could just kind of talk a little bit about your thoughts on purpose and just kind of weave 
your book into this conversation. Um, I think that would be really powerful. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I there's this quote by Michael Franti, he's a musician, and I can't see one of his songs, and he says, many little people in many little places doing many little things makes the whole world change. Mm. You know, you hit the nail on the head. You know, purpose is how you show up in the world, not what you do. Wayne Dyer used to say, uh, if you are what you do, when you don't, you're not. Mm. So purpose was just your vocation. If you didn't have a job, that would mean you're not. You, you're totally void of life and meaning and purpose and significance just because you don't have a job. If you are what you do and you don't, you're not. It's who you are. It's your character. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, Henry David Thoreau says the point of a goal isn't what you get, but who you become in the process. You know, who we are is, you know, people, People liken, you know, purpose to um, a verb, but maybe it's more of a noun. And you know, that noun is, is you or me, who we are as an individual. Who are we? And so, you know, I think that it's it can purpose can be the, um, you know, the, the it's the energy we're giving off, you know, and and the ways that we're contributing to when we're in aisle seven of the grocery store and we had a long day and um you know it's who we are in the common hours Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um and so your book the purpose principles let's talk a little bit about that because this just kind of extends the conversation a little bit more and what was like your motivation for writing it what was your your inspiration and uh yeah just share share with listeners about this book and then we'll, I, I, I want to finish it by asking a little bit more about your next book. Well, you know, it was a build off of my first book and, you know, it was a topic I was curious about. I think it's easy for us to see ourselves, going back to what I said about Laird, it's easy for us to see ourselves separate as the people, you know, that are apparently high achievers or, you know, so successful or whatever. And, so the book was really about getting down to a lot of the stories of the success, failure, the common threads. We've seen a, a lot of the biggest influencers in the world and finding their common threads to, you know, live a life of purpose, to not live a half a half lived life, but to fully live and fully show up in their potential. And so that's what inspired me to write the book and something I was always curious, you know, kind of fun research project and um so that's what inspired me to write the book. You know, I think if we can see ourselves in the people we're inspired by most, we would realize that we're actually capable of a lot more than, you know, than we think. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a lot bigger vision for us. You know, there's a lot more we're being called to. So the book's divided into different principles and um, practices that uh, I found individuals that range from Taylor Swift to Nelson Mandela, to Dave Matthews and Bob Marley, to um, Henry David Thoreau, to, you know, Rosa Parks, you know, a, a myriad of, of individuals of all ethnicities, um, countries, time periods, and genders, and, you know, they're all doing the same things, and, you know, they're all showing up in the world in the same way, which is really big. Mm. And so that's what inspired the book, and that's what the book's about. And so, yeah, my new book is called Profit from Happiness. That'll be out. It'll be my third book. Um, that'll be out sometime. I don't know exactly when, spring 2016. And 
The subtitle is The Unity of Wealth, Work, and Personal Fulfillment. Hmm. That's really powerful. And uh, you must be pumping books out really quickly now. Yeah, you know, you know, the more you do something, the, the um, more fluid it becomes, and oftentimes the more it becomes a part of you. And, you know, it's, it's not... So when I when I understand it flows better, but when I understand this and when I I've come to understand with this new book is it's actually re, it's really not me pumping the book out; it's the book being pumped through mm. me. If I'll get out of the way right. and let what really is supposed to come through me come through me, and so that's you know it's definitely been <laughs> that's that maybe maybe that's the ultimate productivity hack. Wow, Jake, you are such an inspiration, and I am so grateful that your voice is out there in the world, and it's actively making a difference in so many lives. I know that when I first heard you speak, I felt so hopeful and inspired and uh, and grateful. It really, it just it comes down to, to gratitude. Thank you for not saying no, thank you for not suppressing your voice. Thank you for being who you are and for showing up how you are and for making such a big difference in in your world and as a result in the world. Yeah, thank you. No, I, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for the passion and interview. There you have it, 23-year-old inspirational powerhouse, Jake Ducey. And as I do every week, I will be posting all of Jake's information on my website at debozarco.com backslash Jake. And that's going to be his TEDx talk, his YouTube channel, his book information, and his website. All in the show notes, again, on my website, debozarco.com backslash Jake. And a last quick mention that there are only two spots left for the decloaking and living authentically experience from November 2nd to 6th here on the Sunshine Coast of beautiful British Columbia, Canada. So if you're ready to soar with your greatness, if you're ready to unleash your primal aliveness, and if you would love to connect deeply with a group of kick-ass women willing to have different conversations that expand their lives Claim your spot ASAP and kick status quo to the curb once and for all. And hey, if this podcast is meaningful to you, please get out there and rank and rate it on iTunes, okay? I, hey, come on, help a gal out. You sound like a broken record, I know, I know. But if you don't ask, you'll never receive, right? So let's change this, change this world together. And it's as simple as a rank and rating. That's it. Piece of cake. Come on, do it. That's what Nike says. Just do it. <sighs> and that's it for another Unplugged podcast. That's it for this week. Voila. Fini. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.